My New Year's resolution is to make sure that the Republican Party dies. The Republican Party dies. The Republican Party dies. Welcome to the Bituation Room, everybody. This is episode 14, the first episode of 2019. I am your host, Francesca Fiorentini. Thank you so much for being here, for pressing play with your nubby, almond, buttery fingers. And thank you for those who've reviewed this podcast on iTunes. Those stars mean so much to me. Keep them coming. You're a star. You. Uh, I'm so excited because 2019 is starting off really, really right with the two guests that I have in the habituation room right now. To my left is Adam Todd Brown, who is a stand-up comedian and the host of the Unpopular Opinion podcast. How you doing, Adam? I'm great. Thank you for having me here. Yeah, I appreciate no problem. it. Of course. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you, too. Thank you. Nothing's going to go wrong this year. No, 2019 is going to be great. I think it will be. Uh, also in the room is Paul Song, who is an oncologist and the president of Physicians for a National Health Program, California. Paul, welcome. Thanks for having me here. Oh, oh wow. You've got such a good radio voice. I, uh, I, I try. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's really important. Um, for like, if I want to hear bad news from a physician, I want it to sound yeah. radio-esque. Like I have my doctors be like, you know, just restate bad news. Yeah. You want it to be authoritarian. Yeah, Authoritative. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I almost said authoritarian. Like, you don't want oh, that. Oh, I, I also that authoritarian. Would a, that'd be a weird way for a doctor to deliver That's true. information. That is true. Um, Paul, uh, happy new year to you. How you doing? Oh, great. And, uh, had a very mellow holidays, but really excited for 2019. Nice. Um, you said that you took the family somewhere and that they enjoyed it more than you did before we started recording. Uh, you know, during the holidays, I have a, my wife and I have a five and a two year old. So everything is all about them and their joy of Christmas and Santa. So it's <laughs> pretty sound. exhausting for us. Ah, kids robbing God, the joy out of Christmas for us no, adults. Honestly, that is, were you big into Christmas before you had kids? Not really. I mean, I think uh, especially all the commercialization and, and all the hectic, you know, stress. So we as a family kind of did away with the whole gift thing mm -hmm. many years ago and figured out that we would just focus just on spending time together, which was great. But now with kids, they're really into it. And so we have to kind of then you just had little capitalists and you were Absolutely. like, damn it. Absolutely. They want to accumulate and we must oblige. Um, well, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, we start off every episode of The Bituation Room the very same way, which is even though it is 2019 and it's supposed to be a fresh slate and blah, 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 and resolutions and hashtag, um, you know, no bad days or whatevs. I want to know what you guys are bitching about. Just like a few days into the new year. Um, Adam, what are you bitching about? Um, I don't know if it's so much. I mean, I'm kind of bitching about it. Uh, I I want, I don't want Trump to resign. Mm. I don't want, the, unless Mike Pence goes with him. <laughs> if it's just Trump stepping down and getting replaced with Mike Pence, I wish we would stop talking about impeaching Trump. Dude, here's the thing. But I, okay, what you just said is I'm going to interrogate the premise here because 
resignation. I don't think he's going to resign. I don't want him impeached. I don't. I you want him. Impe- I want him to serve out. If it means he's replaced by Mike Pence, I want him to serve out he, his term. But he could technically still be impeached and serve out oh, his sure. term. Oh, for sure. So there's yeah. always just that, which I feel like, given his behavior and given what we know of his sociopathic tendencies and his ego, this fool's not resigning. Yeah, which that's good. That's because that's you're just more comfort- afraid of. Of Mike Pence. You're like, no way, Mike Pence. Mike Pence is everything Trump is. There's nothing, whoops, sorry. There's nothing Mike Pence and Trump disagree on, be it immigration, healthcare, all of that. They they are in step on all of those things. But when you replace Trump with Mike Pence, we're in a theocracy then because he is a religious zealot. Absolutely. And Trump at least doesn't have that Ronald Reagan, I'm on a mission from God streak about him, which is what Mike Pence would bring to it. And also, I didn't know this until just the other day. If Trump is somehow removed from office and Mike Pence takes over, we have Mike Pence for the next two years and he can run in 2020 and 2024. So we can have Mike Pence for 10 years. Too bad he's got no charisma and would never win. Don't ever say no one would ever win mm. ever again in your life, please. But I will just push. No, you're right. But I will push back and say, I think at least. And yes, it's going to like, you know, I've joked the tampons will become illegal. Like I will have, you know, women won't be able to be out of the house without being accompanied by a man like all that. If Mike Pence is president, but being guided by something, even if it is like your really retrograde God, like. That is almost workable, where I feel like Trump is guided by absolutely nothing but his own... Well, his own self-interest. His complete own self-interest, like complete corrupt... I mean, Mike Pence doesn't have a global organization that he's personally enriching himself with currently. Like, he could develop that, like the Trump organization. Right. Yeah, we would go from having a corrupt regime, though, to a corrupt regime that just vehemently believes in God. (laughs) And like with right, and makes it, it, it's a little George W. Bush throwback. Uh, like with the Paul, what do you think? I think it'll go from a corrupt regime to one that's uh, like a modern day Taliban in in the United States. That's, right, that's what that's, I think. that's what he wants. He wants to inflict his re- like Christian Sharia. His religious right. values are what he wants to govern the land, and we at least don't have that with Trump. Mm. And that's a thing that would resonate with a lot of evangelicals who I imagine there's at least a handful who aren't voting for Trump because they just can't. Right. You have to know he's paid for hundreds of abortions in his life. There's no way you can be an evangelical (laughs) and still support. Trump. Well, that's a sad part. I think too many of them did. And, uh, you know, and that's the hypocrisy. Right. Uh, But they think, well, we're going to get Supreme Court judges that are going to overturn Roe v. Wade. So we'll hold our nose and overlook his foibles and then you had what's his name from uh, uh, Falwell's son basically you know going out on a limb and and praising him and saying uh, that we absolutely can support him he doesn't have to be good (laughs) that's what he said he doesn't have to be good no I I, listen you're coming out of the gate real hot Adam I try this is supposed to be short (laughs) and I appreciate it but I'm going to keep this ball bouncing because this is going to be a theme throughout the entire year of this podcast and i hope you come back and we can continue to tossle about it of course paul what are you bitching all right about? i'm gonna see everyone later. <laughs> goodbye and i just wanted to get my stuff out and the fuck out yeah. <laughs>
I think what I'm bitching about is what I've been bitching about for a long time, which is our really immoral, broken healthcare system. Mm. And particularly now with January 1st, a lot of people are having to figure out how they're going to pay their new premiums. Or if you're a company that has all these employees, your premiums have gone up and it's consuming more of your company profits. So, um, you know, as as we gear up for the new year, I think that you see, you know, in the run up to the Affordable Care Act, which did do a lot of good things, there was no insurance rate regulation. Mm -hmm. And now we're seeing people, more and more people each year having difficulty paying their premiums each month. Um, on top of that, you know, you know that we as a society spend more on healthcare than any other industrialized nation, and yet we have the highest infant mortality, um, maternal mortality. The number of women who are pregnant that die in the United States is far greater. Appalling. Yeah. It's really appalling. And then lower life expectancy, not to mention the fact that we still have 29 million people that are uninsured. So. I, every year uh, when I have to send that first paycheck to the insurance company, it just makes me very, very angry that we're still funding this really gross for-profit system that only makes money by denying care. Right. Um, and I'm hoping at least with the new Congress and the makeup uh, that there will be a li little bit more boldness in trying to get Medicare for all at least out more in the mainstream. And we heard today that uh, uh, Speaker Pelosi is allowing Pramila Jayapal to actually have hearings, real hearings in Congress on Medicare for All, mm -hmm. which will happen in both the Budget and Rules Committee, which is unprecedented. So um, there yeah, is we're gonna We're yeah. going to get into that. I really, I want to dig into ex all that has happened recently in terms of Medicare for All and with this new Congress, let's talk about it. But like, you don't have anything like stupid you're bitching about? Uh, well, that the New York Giants are terrible again. <laughs> mm, they uh, sure are. <laughs> really, really bad. Um, that that you know, Eli Manning um, was up and down, and and we could have at least brought in like Kaepernick. Yeah. Who, with Ooh. when you have a bad offensive line, but you got weapons like Odell Beckham, and you got um, need a quarterback you know, who can so, run. So, yeah, you could do the read option, and we could have actually been decent. Totes. Yeah, read right. option. Yeah, because you turned it around near the end of the season. Exactly. So I, I you beat I, the Bears. I mean, we were playing with a backup quarterback. Right. But... Right. Right. But still, and you guys are in the playoffs. But I, but I think yes. So that's what I'm really Thank angry you. about. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate you being able to be superficial, and I like that. <laughs> I didn't know I was supposed to be superficial. Yeah. What the fuck? <laughs> oh. Oh no I'm, no please. I'm sorry. It's, no, it is always. I'm tired of people complaining about Bird Box. It was a fine movie. <laughs> that of all the movies, that's the one you're mad about. Did you see the Halloween reboot? Trash. Very good one to bitch about. Um, I there's you know I need to see another image from Bird Box for me to actually press play. Like all I see is the the blindfolds, and I'm like, give me some. Gore, all it is. Give it's me a two some. hour boat trip. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. No, it's not. That would be because that's insane. what it seems like. I'm bitching about something that is like if you guys like football, you'll love um, hot yoga. Um, <laughs> I just got back from a yoga class, and it was my first hot yoga it's it was like 90 degrees in there and i was like i can handle this and initially i was like "Ooh, this feels like a um like i'm in a womb this is great you know it's kind of it's cold outside and i felt you know kind of contained but speaking of contained it was actually in a container like the actual studio was a shipping container. Have you guys seen the second season of The Wire? Yes. <laughs> when the, all those like women who are trafficked from Eastern Europe die. Right. That's the fuck. That was fucking hot yoga today. That's what it was. I was like, we're going to die in here. And then 
Um, some dock workers are going to find us. Yeah. They're going to wash their hands of this. They'll be like, namaste, motherfucker. Bye. <laughs> yeah. It's not going to be on the manifest. Yeah. They're never going to find you. <laughs> They're going to disappear this box when we all die from hot yoga. Anyway, it stopped being fun 15 minutes into it. 90 degrees. Like, no. I can't watch TV when it's 90 <laughs> degrees in my apartment. Well, and does it That's reek insane. Surprisingly, it didn't, which was okay. good. It wasn't very feedy. <laughs> um, it was because uh, like yoga studios tend to be kind of feedy, but anyway, hot box yoga, not feeling it. If there was actually weed in it, that might have been more fun. Yeah, that would be fun. That'd be kind of tight. Let's move into a little bit of what Paul was talking about in our sitch for this episode, which is Medicare for all and the future that it has in 2019 and tw- going into 2020. Paul, you alluded to this, but basically the new 116th Congress uh, assumed office today. This is going to come out a few days later. Huge. A lot of women, people of color, uh, um, sexuality, diversity. No one's ever said that, but you Mm -hmm. know what I mean? (laughs) Um, And it's really exciting to see how Democrats who've now taken the House are going to wield their power. I have a wish list, um, which may or may not include impeachment i'm sorry <laughs> <laughs> i'm sorry, I'm sorry. It's not- okay. <laughs> basically all the progressives that are assuming office are really heartening and we know that like 70 percent of americans approve of medicare for all they want that um and the house like you said is going to be holding these hearings um the led by uh, Pramila Jayapal, of who's a representative from Washington State, which is super cool. Nancy Pelosi said there's going to be hearings on it. Um, the Rules and Budget Committee is going to like contain those hearings, and that is chaired. That committee is chaired by two representatives who also believe in Medicare for all. So things are looking good for this issue in this year and in 2020. Paul, what can go wrong? Well, you're seeing it. And it, and, and again, the attack is going to be less from the right. Uh, it's going to play out within the Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. You've got the corporate Democratic wing that um, is very beholden to the insurance industry and the pharmaceutical industry. And they're the ones that have constantly blocked any mention of single payer. Everyone thinks it's always the right, but it's actually not. It's the real centrist. It's the people who are beholden to those industries. And so you're seeing it now with people coming up with competing narratives within the Democratic Party. Let's have a Medicare uh, public option. Right. Right. For all. Let's have. Uh, and, and, and I think this is where you'll see where the real uh, sincerity is. When someone says they're for universal care, mm-hmm. what that means is they want to give everyone private insurance or give everyone Medicaid or along those lines, but not have a single payer system. Right. People who really want a single payer Medicare for all system are very specific about that. So and, and, and the thing that really irks me about these people that say they're for universal health care, having insurance doesn't necessarily mean you actually have access to care. Uh, depending on what type of insurance you have, if you have one of these really crappy plans, like these bronze plans where the deductible is 6000 to $7,000, that means before the insurance kicks in, the first six or $7,000 of any cost. So if you feel a lump right. in your neck and you got to get a biopsy or you got to see a doctor, the first $6,000 have to come out of your pocket before the insurance company then starts to pay 60% of additional costs. So what does that happen? What happens is one out of three people with insurance like that delay seeking care because they can't afford the copays and deductibles. So the idea of, quote, giving everyone you know, universal 
coverage or insurance doesn't mean you actually have access to care. Within the ACA, was there any kind of foresight in terms of um, or or, uh, sort of limitations on how much you could charge people? Like, was that written into the the law at all or was just kind of whatever, just provide it? So I think it's really important to go back and realize at the time we had a supermajority, right? We had a supermajority in the Senate and the House <laughs> and we had a Democratic president. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we had 3,300 registered healthcare lobbyists for the 535 members of Congress. So roughly <laughs> six lobbyists for one member of Congress. Uh, they were spending $1.2 million a day lobbying Congress. So in, in total, more was spent that's uh, so many pens. Uh, yeah. I'm like, <laughs> well, but think about it. That's so many denials. That's so many uh, people's co-pays that you could have paid for. But yeah. what happened was um, they spent more than what was spent on the Bush Kerry election. So that's why the bill looks like it was written by the pharmaceutical industry and the private insurance industry. Right. What, is, what does that mean? No insurance rate regulation at all and no drug pricing controls. And if you look at what's and happened- And no public option. And no public option. Uh, so, and this was Democrats, right? So if we were gonna do something bold, that was the time to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, so right yeah. now when you see, you know, Speaker Pelosi back as Speaker, d- does a part of you kind of like cringe? Actually, Speaker Pelosi, I think has heard the, the voice. She can't um, deny that. And I actually applaud her for allowing hearings to happen because mm-hmm. that's unprecedented. She's actually co-sponsored the, uh, uh, really encouraged uh, Pramila to bring this forward, which yeah. is really um, and different. She, and, and I think she's bowed to some pressure. Like right. she just a few months ago or even like a year ago, I remember, you know, she was asked in press conferences, what do you think about Medicare for all? She sort of gave this really crap answer. Like, well, I've been I've been campaigning for Medicare for all before you were born. It was like a younger <laughs> journalist. And it's like, that's a terrible response. And so they've yeah. sort of been like, I hate this term, but pussy footing is a really good one for this. Right. Um, pussies are very strong. I will just want to reiterate for this podcast. Um, Especially foot pussies. Foot pussies are hella strong. The strongest. But yeah. I really can't blame her. And actually, I, I, I want to thank her for allowing the hearings to happen. Right. The, more, the people that I'm more concerned about are the Hakeem Jeffries and others who take a lot of corporate money. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you have to look at where the Democratic Party and where our society has come in the last few years. Just two years ago, Secretary Clinton said Medicare for all will never happen. And then this year, you had President Obama during the primary say he thought it was a good idea. Right. Right. Um, You had more people running, particularly in red parts of Orange County, as Medicare for all candidates. So before you never would do that. And, and, And I think there's something telling about if you look at the two senators who lost two of the senators who lost Democrats, Claire McCaskill and Joe Donnelly, they've been poo pooing the whole AOC agenda and the whole progressive, we can't do that, but get good riddance. They're gone, yeah. right? Yeah, because yeah. I think when you try to run as a Republican light, you're going to lose to the Republican. These bold progressives turned around and won. And I think more and more people are now emboldened to run on Medicare for all. And look at Kamala Harris, who has come out and was the first person to co-sponsor Bernie's bill. Yeah. And what is it? What and I which think, is huge support yeah. now. The uh, what is it? H.R. Uh, 76? Well, H.R. No. 676 is a House bill that has over 120 oh, right. uh, Democratic co-sponsors, uh, more than half of the Democratic caucus members. And then there's a Medicare for all caucus. But if you look at the only other thing that has had such a rapid sea change over the last 10 years is marriage equality. Like I remember mm-hmm. when I first moved to California uh, and Prop 8 was on the ballot. Uh, I was shocked at the number of people that said they didn't want it. They wanted civil unions. They didn't want full marriage equality. But then in just a short period of time, we had full marriage equality throughout the land. If you look at the polling 
uh, for that over a six-year period of time, it mimics what's happening with Medicare for All. Right. And in much the same way, I don't think like, I think what happened was, and, and I was very involved in the um, gay rights movement because we have some very dear friends. Uh, and when they were coming out to their friends and family, to their coworkers, to their um, you know, uh, everyone, Cats. neighbors, they uh, they put a personal face on that. And I think what's happening is people are starting to share their stories of how this healthcare system is not working yeah. for them and no longer believing the lies that we have this great healthcare system. Do you think, though, that, I mean, are you of the mind that the ACA passage opened the dip door for having this discussion? Um, or do you think that we would have had it anyway and do you know what i mean like a lot of people are see the aca and they're like listen it, it did insure many many people and also we would have never had medicare for all discussion had the aca not passed i i, what I do think you make of that? i think the aca did do some very important things so as a as a an oncologist i used to see a lot of my patients who had been fighting breast cancer for eight ten years who had gotten up to their maximum uh in terms of what the insurance would pay and they were trying to pay out of pocket so there's no lifetime caps now on insurance. There's right. um, no, um, while now the Republicans and the courts have really challenged it, but no uh, discrimination for pre-existing conditions. There were some really good things in there, but in the end, it was a bill. It was it was corporate welfare. It was basically giving money to people who didn't have insurance subsidies to go buy a product from a for-profit industry that only makes money by denying care. It it, it was corporate. Yeah, it it is. It's it's corporate welfare. So. I think if we were going to spend that kind of money, um, and and again, this is where I worry and where I've gotten into trouble saying it's not necessarily publicans that'll do Medicare for all, it's it's corporate thems. Um, that's what we saw, and that's the best that President Obama could get. Mm. Ooh-wee. Uh, yeah, I always want to sort of all zero in on the the right. And I think that that's useful, but I think it's, it's great to hear it from you that are like, oh, no, 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 on this issue, it really is a lot of corporate Dems and lobbyists that need to be uh, in the crosshairs of pressure and and all of that. Right. Yeah. I have so many questions, but I want to just give like, the other thing that happened this week was that one of the first votes that the House took um, was to change from basically like house rules from cut go to pay go basically which means that if you pass any kind of um broadening of um like welfare programs or entitled so-called entitlement programs um you have to then also find where the money is going to come from essentially you have to offer a tax break or whatnot which a lot of um, progressives specifically the congressional progressive caucus was super against and ultimately they sort of relented and only three Democrats actually voted against PAYGO. One of them, AOC, um, Ro Khanna, and then uh, Tulsi Gabbard voted against it. And I was doing a little bit of digging because it sort of was, you know, oh, PAYGO is going to be awful because it's going to hamstring the Medicare for all debate. And I'm interested, Paul, in your um, take on whether this vote, whether PAYGO is going to totally screw over Medicare for all. Uh, well, again, I, I, I want to thank the members of Congress that did vote against PAYGO. Um, but I will say no, because if you look at uh, studies that were even funded by the Koch brothers, the Mercatus Institute at George Mason University uh, was funded to go do a study on, on Medicare for all. Mm -hmm. And what they found was that it would cost $32 um, uh, trillion a year. Uh, I'm sorry, $3.2 trillion a year, but that it was cheaper if you over 10 years, it would save uh $32 trillion compared to doing keeping the status quo while insuring everyone. So right. even the most conservative 
analysis have showed it would save money. We have a ticking time bomb. So even if they say we pay go, we have this healthcare situation that's consuming more and more of our GDP each year. Yeah. And they've got to figure out what to do. Right. Um, so at some point, they're going to realize this is unsustainable and either we can cut everyone's benefits or we can find a way to simplify our healthcare system, make it more efficient, negotiate drug prices and bulk purchasing and, and give everyone better healthcare, bring everyone up to a certain decent level of healthcare and reduce costs. So you're uh, so, saying it pays for itself ultimately absolutely. in the long run. It, it'll pay for itself. And not only that, it'll, it, even the most conservative studies have shown it'll save money. The question I had, I think people were worried that if you go with Paygo, you immediately have to like give another tax break to the wealthy or something. You have to find where the where the money is going to come from for the initial cash infusion for something like Medicare. Stuff that I've read is said, well, actually, that could be a good thing because you can then be like, well, we're going to close a bunch of loopholes. How about that? <laughs> and then yeah. create a bunch of money. And um, that that is actually in terms of passing legislation. This is super wonky, but it like it helps if you're like you can get Republicans to vote for it. If you're like, well, we're going to close X, Y and Z loophole. You know, we're not going to pass your voters will not get, you know, have a, a tax increase. We're just going to close, you know, these loopholes for maybe your your donors or whomever, the big wigs in the back, but that it's more likely to pass. So I'm not sure if it's a nail in the coffin for uh, Medicare for all. But I mean, what do you think about 2020 candidates like what? If you're not on the Medicare for all, it sounds like the given the amount of support from Democrats, if you're not on the Medicare for all bandwagon, like you don't stand a chance being president. I, I hope so. I, I hope it, it becomes a litmus test. It certainly became a litmus test here in California in a lot of the primaries, Democratic primaries. You had Katie Porter uh, running in Orange County, who ended up um, uh, beating Mimi Waters. She ran as a pro Medicare for all candidate and beat all the other moderate republic and uh, moderate democrats in the primary so right. um I, I think people realize that it's no longer as albatross before you could say like what you quoted i've always been in favor of it but you never see their name on any vote mm. the fact that people now are willing to put their name on a co-sponsor bill particularly in the senate says that they don't see this as a political liability they've they've all done their calculations and see this is a positive and and i do think that um that is going to be one of the big issues there, environmental issues. And, and I think this is where Beto is in a little bit of trouble because he has been reluctant to um, come on board with Medicare for all. Yeah. Um, also, I think we have to thank the Sandman for even introducing this concept. Uh, Bernie Sanders definitely, as someone who campaigned on it in his presidential run in 2016, I mean, that's huge. And people saw that and it was the most tangible thing. And it was a huge difference between... Clinton and Bernie. I mean, Clinton at a rally, we did this, we use this bit for a Newsbrook video. I mean, she is like fire and brimstone against, she's like, you know, it's ridiculous to pass a bill that, you know, and to whatever to get, like, yeah, to pass a Medicare bill that is never gonna happen. We should just, you know, and it's just like, we gotta make the ACA better. We shouldn't just pass some like highfalutin, you know, fantasy bill. And it's like, Jesus Christ. Yeah. That is the worst way to motivate. I'm sure that's just her conviction speaking <laughs> and not anything else, not money or who supports sure. her or anything like that. Mm -hmm. Just that's her it. heart, just speaking from her heart. That's what I love about Hillary Clinton. She always spoke from the heart. Yeah. Oh, man. I, I actually, I got. Part of me, this is the most sinister part of me, wants a total redo of 2016 with the same candidates. <laughs> Just go. Like, 
I mean, people are, I think Hillary Clinton, I don't know how it got passed around that maybe she would run again. Do it. I don't like do it. Sure. Why well, not? I'm, yeah. Well, but no, no. Obviously, no. But like, there's a sinister <laughs> part of me that's like, you're going to this time. Bernie will win. <laughs> you know. Uh, anyway, I. Uh, oh, Clinton. Do you think Bernie will win this time? Um, what I was thinking about earlier is when he ran on Medicare for all before he was the guy running on that. Sure. And now there's a lot of people on board with it and we have more options and he's going to run into that. Well, you're still a pretty old white dude. Totally. And the, I, I feel like there are other options that are going to prevent Bernie from getting the nomination or um, the presidency. I, you don't want to totally ask me how I, I have a lot of, (laughs) I have a very simple feeling about 2020, which is, like I said, do 2016 over, make Bernie president. That's how I feel. I feel completely through and through. I know there's going to be other candidates. I think that's fine. And I, I, I love Elizabeth Warren. I really like, um, you know, I love Kamala Harris's tenacity, but I like her in the Senate as that. Yeah. I want Bernie and barack obama to run against each other together on the same (laughs) ticket but um barack is vice vp no listen i'm not and again this is not on some like gender race analysis which i do think there need to be i would love to elect a woman and i and fuck yeah if, if warren is the is the nominee gladly happily all that i just kind of want bernie i'm just i just want him to trounce i want him to fucking trounce let's get him for two years then he croaks warren and or barack obama are become president (laughs) (laughs) and it all works out paul am i crazy well um no i mean i think his message still resonates and there's still um it's unwavering and i think it's still uh positive i what i've been shocked by is how even even though he hasn't announced anything, how the attack ads have already come out against sure. him. Um, and I know he's got a very uh, weighty decision to make, and and certainly whatever he decides, uh, you know. But I I I, I think is up to him. But I, I think his message and is needed more now than ever. I, I was on the streets the day after Trump got elected, and the thing that just keeps ringing in my ear is my friend looked at me and she goes, "We're we're both just protesting," and she goes. We could have been on the streets celebrating Bernie Sanders' victory. And I was like, fuck, you're right. And again, I am not someone who believes that Hillary Clinton should have gotten out of the way. And I I do think the DNC was, I wouldn't say rigged, but completely all pulling for Clinton. I think she would have been a okay centrist president. And we would have, you know, there's a lot of things to say. But my friend's voice is just ringing in my ear. Man, we could have been on the street. Are you sure it wasn't rigged? Like he won a lot of those primaries and they just brought in in super delegates to make it seem like. But the system in and of itself, to borrow a phrase from him, was rigged. So yeah, I mean it's by design. Yeah. It's one of those things where where people will say, Nope, it's working exactly like it should. And it's like, well, yeah, it's flawed. Yeah. Like it's working like it should, but it's a broken system that needs to be fixed. Yeah. Like healthcare. Um, yeah. I just want to say going uh, descending from this conversation because it's going to be the whole fucking year of who's going to run in 2020. And I don't like again. Can we just all say when you like one candidate, it doesn't mean the rest of them are trash. It doesn't right. mean and, and like people are talking about Beto and I totally agree. With Sean King says, you know, 
We should talk about Stacey Abrams and Andrew Gillum. Fuck yeah, man. I was in Georgia. Stacey Abrams is amazing. She is such a force to be reckoned with. But we do need to see people who are like, are winning these elections. You know, I want them on all different levels. So, and but anyway, the point is, is that I think we all need to kind of like, you know, simmer down, not all jump on each other um, and get off Twitter when it comes to the 2020 election. And hey, fucking network news as well. (laughs) Um, But I'm interested, like, in terms of Medicare for all, what if if nothing happens, what can California do? Can do we is there a state option to to move toward that? So uh, in addition to co-sponsoring 676, which is the Medicare for all bill in the House, uh, Pramila Jaipal is actually trying to also sponsor a federal waiver bill to allow states to implement their own uh, health care systems, uh, which the Affordable Care Act did allow a provision to do that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was one of the criticisms that when they were trying to do single payer here in the state, uh, opponents were saying, well, you'd never get a federal waiver from President Trump in this administration, which is probably true. Uh, but but California, I think, is Does unique. it have to be like official? Like the, he's got to sign it like the fucking, you know, well, the HHS secretary and- has to. And she is uh, pretty awful uh, in terms of what she thinks about Medicare for all. She <laughs> even tweeted about it on Halloween, saying that this was the scariest thing that she was going to tweet for Halloween. Oh, my God. Medicare for all. Our HHS secretary. Um, Zing. So, uh, but I do think that in California, the reason why I think it could potentially work in California, and maybe it couldn't have worked in Vermont. Vermont's population is only 500,000 people. You have people who live in Vermont, work in Massachusetts or New York every day. They get their health care there. And it's really, really difficult. California, on any given time, is either the fifth or the sixth largest economy in the world. Um, and we spend a ton of money on health care already. Um, and so... The money's already there. Actually, there was a study that was done at UCLA that of every healthcare dollar that's spent in the in, in California, mm-hmm. seventy cents is already paid for by us, the taxpayers. Either meaning that when wow. we give um, pay for our teachers and our uh, state employees, uh, we give tax breaks to Google and Apple to provide healthcare for their employees, retiree healthcare costs. That's for all for their being, haircuts, yeah, their massages and their nap pods. Exactly, I have a nap pod. You do? Is mm-hmm. it different than your bed? It's my car. Um, but the the, but the taxpayers are already funding that so the idea but then on top of that you have the insurance industry that takes everywhere anywhere from 15 to 30 cents of every healthcare dollar away from actual patient care for marketing overhead for administrative costs to pay exorbitant ceo salaries. so the money's there what we just need to do is put it into one pot and if we got the federal waiver to do that and again it comes down to political will we have a super majority here in california of quote democrats uh, then you would think it would be possible. But this is yeah. where, again... So we need that waiver. So you need the waiver first and foremost. Uh, and then in 2020, chances are we will have a president that will at least be favorable to allowing states to innovate. Sure. How come you're such a cool doc, Paul? Uh, Why don't you just want money? Oh, so... Or are you uh, like, do you know what I'm saying? Like, no. are physicians on board? Are they, Or are they like, no, nah, because I don't want to take a cut? Or will they have to take a, like what? Well, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a little bit of a rarity in that I'm a specialist. I'm a radiation oncologist that generally we have pretty good lifestyle. We don't have crazy call hours and, 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 but, uh, so there are very few radiation oncologists that are advocating for Medicare for all. They're all enjoying their nice cush lives. But, (laughs) uh, for me, what it was, was, um, I've been practicing for what, 22 years now. Um, and about five years into it, all of a sudden I was making more money than I was ever used to, but I was seeing p- 
patients of mine that were going bankrupt because they were fighting chronic battles with cancer. And these are people that worked their whole lives, did the right thing, played by the rules, had insurance. And I started to really question the system. And it was one of those things where I just, I couldn't really continue to participate in, a, in this type of system. How did you know they were going bankrupt? Like, would they, would they just kind of come up, well, I'm going to have to find where to pay for the session or, you know, like, how does that happen? So we had social workers that were working in the hospital. And this right. was in Fairfax County, which is one of the richest counties in the United States, in Virginia. Um, we had, um, but, but patients, when you have radiation, you come in every day, Monday through Friday for up to six weeks. So you get to know these patients pretty good. And especially if you treat, say, them for breast cancer and then two years later it's in their brain and you have to treat the brain lesion or the bone lesion so you have this unbreakable bond and they're sharing stories and they're realizing they you. the insurance companies are denying paying for uh this medication or they've got to pay out of pocket um and i remember one of the most galvanizing things for me was a, a widower who uh had just lost his wife two years ago he's a shop owner actually dry cleaner uh happened to be korean and so i just immediately kind of felt a little additional sympathy for him. He, he was widowed and he developed pancreatic cancer and he'd had to sell his house to pay for his wife's care because he was a small business owner, didn't have the right type of insurance. Um, and so you can't help, so you can sit back and collect a paycheck and go golf or you can really say you can't live with this system and that that's kind of what happened with me and so. I actually worked for in health insurance for 10 years oh, shit. before I did customer service for oh my God. medical claims and just the change like I know the ACA is flawed, but just the pre-existing thing is so huge because yeah. that would just, it would wreck people. Like it, yeah. you would get insurance and then get a letter a week later that says, oh, we saw you, uh, you went in for diabetes treatment. What's that about? And if they could prove that you had been treated for that at any point in like the five years before you got insurance, they just wouldn't cover it. It's and then the most you might as well not shit. have insurance. No. And the private like private insurance before. I don't know what it's like under the ACA because I, I didn't work there once that happened. But private insurance, like if you had pre-existing conditions, you would have to get these uh, high risk pool mm -hmm. plans that would be in 2001 dollars like $1500 a month and then they'd have those insane deductibles like he mentioned where you know you're paying this crazy monthly premium and you also have to pay 7 or 8000 dollars in bills before your insurance will pay anything and it's still worth it because medical bills are so out of control if you can all right fine I'll pay 20000 this year as opposed to 150,000, 200,000. But it, but it's the free market, Adam. Right. The way it works, it's oh my god, it's so evil. Like there's no way it around, around just saying that it's fucking evil. Yeah, health uh, insurance shouldn't be a for-profit thing. Well, and no. also last year, well, in, in 2016, now we're uh, I'm sorry, 2017, 45 million Americans reported not being able to fill a prescription because yeah, they can't afford it's it. 22% of seniors don't fill a prescription. And they, so you're not taking the medication that you need to be taking because insurance company will only pay $20 of it or whatever. Um, and then so you get sicker, you end up in the hospital. It's just this vicious yeah, cycle. Yeah, no, it is. I, I, dude, I was looking at, I have some really nice eye drops. I got dry eyes. 
and um, I saw what it was. I don't have, I just actually bought insurance on the marketplace. The most confusing online shopping I have ever done. I had to make a phone call. Ugh. I, gross. <laughs> yeah. Terrible. Um, yeah, no. And I was like, you know, it was, I went for like some mid tier shit, still way too expensive. Um, anyway, my premium eye drops were, sorry, I'm just going to say the eye drops without insurance when I had insurance, uh, through my job were like, like $500 for a small bottle. And I was like, Jeez. you're fucking kidding. These are magic. <laughs> I can see everything. <laughs> yeah. My insurance premium last year was a dollar. Because of the subsidy I got in this year, it's 326. What? And I made less money this year. I don't know. Well, part of that is the Republicans have undermined a lot of the ACA. So yeah. they've reduced the subsidies. Uh, and, and on top of that, there was uncertainty. So premiums went up a little bit more. Mm. So between the premium going up and then the subsidy being reduced is why yeah. you're feeling more. It hurts. Oh my God. That's uh, quite an increase. That's a huge a increase. Dollar to three hundred and twenty-seven. Uh, I'm sorry. Um, I hope that I hope that we do this. I hope that we make inroads in 2019 and yeah. into 2020. Small caveat. I just want to say uh, I super love Elizabeth Warren. I'm going back to that. I saw her the other day. She was interviewed by Rachel Maddow, and um, you know, not a lot of Democrats have a good line when it comes to foreign policy. Even Bernie Sanders was pretty weak on foreign policy. And the best question that Warren was asked and responded to without sort of missing a beat was, do you support President Trump's withdrawal from Syria? And she was like, I absolutely don't think that we need to be in Syria, in Afghanistan, in Iraq. We have, you know, there has to be an actual plan if we're going to stay. So like hawks have no plan. Right. But Trump doesn't have a plan either to just sort of pull off the Band-Aid and leave without a, like a, you know, sort of a process or training or whatever it's going to look like. So we can actually or fucking reparations. Fuck if I know. All I'm saying is that was so pitch perfect and she's killing it. And I absolutely would support, support her as president. But yeah, I kind of want to do 2016. Ever I do like again. her stance on that. That's so amazing. That's the one thing I quasi respect about Trump is that he doesn't when it comes to foreign policy. He doesn't really play into that. Well, we need to promote democracy and stop sure, atrocities from happening. It's like, you know, that's not he's why like, no, we're we there. need to promote fascism. Yeah. And, and continue more. atrocities. I, we, need to, we need to make more money. And if we're not making money, let's find a war that makes us more money. Sure. Yeah, exactly. We have to move on to our targeted character assassination. Speaking of warmongering, um, this is just a little lighter. If you want to call it that, um, mostly because of his skin privilege. Um, Louis C.K., we have to talk about him. I didn't want to. It's an ongoing story, but we got two comedians in the room here and we should talk about it. He uh, did a set in Long Island and it was recorded by someone in the audience who chuckled a lot and loved it, but uh, totally burned his hour. Of course, it's a big no-no in the audiences. Do not record the stand-up set. Right. But of course, in in his uh, set, there was a lot of problematic and racist and um, making fun of Parkland students uh, shit inside in, in, in some of the jokes. And the discussion since has been like, why, Louis? And uh, do you and sort of, you know, on the one hand, it's like Louis. Some people are saying Louis lost it. Now he's trash. Other people have said he's always been this way. It's just that now we don't trust him because of what we know has happened. 
Um, I, I don't have all the think pieces lined up, but you can look at them and read them. Um, I don't know, Adam, where are you, where are you at with the, the Louis resuscitation? Is it ever going to be safe for him to come back into stand up? I don't care. <laughs> like for one thing, like if like he's big enough that he doesn't have to like really play that comedy system game where, oh, I have to get in good with club owners. And like, he could just tour on his own. Like Doug Stanhope. With just the most time, racist stuff he'd ever Yeah, want. exactly. And just, just go out and do it. Like no one's saying that. That's what really bothers me about it is when people are like, oh, we're policing what comics can say. He said it. He said it. Yeah. No one tackled him on stage when he was saying it. Right. No one put a bullet in his head. People just got mad about what he said. And people are allowed to get mad about what people say. Like, if you want to have that freedom to be able to say whatever you want, don't be such a pussy when the backlash comes. No, like, it's true. Own it. And I, I hate that it's, I don't know. I, pussies I, are strong, by the way. Hashtag exactly. pussies are strong. I don't like the, I don't know. I just, I'm very much against the entire, oh, PC culture is ruining comedy. It's like, I'm sorry you have to learn a new way to write jokes. Yeah. But that's every job, like any job ever. If you've been working at McDonald's for 30 years, you make burgers different than you did when you started. <laughs> that's just how the I actually world think that's works. like the one job where it hasn't changed. <laughs> I mean, there's, there's yeah, bound to right. be innovations that keep the kids from getting burned at work yeah, and no, things like yeah, that. Exactly. No, right. We can't have, uh, you know, E. coli rampant in the comedy scene. Um, no, I, I, I definitely am on. I absolutely think that he's going to be fine. He's not going to have the movie deals and be the mega, mega billionaire, more millionaire yeah. than he wants to be. But he's, we're not policing him. No one is policing him. Um, and the the reason that people are making a stir about it is because we don't fucking trust him, which is, Louis C.K. is a funny comic. He's a successful, yeah, funny he's a great comic. Writer. He's a great writer. And he, like I would say, 40% of what makes him him is that he is a straight white ma big male who is like like seems harmless. Yeah. And yet he's a piece of shit all the time. He talks about he's a, how he's a piece of shit. He talks he makes rape jokes. He he talks about he's a terrible dad. Like he's he that's part of his brand, but the fact that he's ha enjoys so much privilege, I think is why people watch him and are like, "Ah, but it's fucking Louie." Whereas you bet your ass that as a woman, as a person of color, as like we have to abide by very different rules when it comes to just kind of being like, so I, I, want, I really want to drown my kids, you know, like, so, you know, right. we can't just because then people be like that bitch wants to drown her kids. You yeah. Know? Like we, we so I think it's just, of course, you know, you um, the whole debate is essentially he's going to be fine. We're not over policing, but you're right. We have to learn how to write jokes. I don't like punching down. I just, it's just not my thing. Right. Uh, I don't think it's funny. And, um, but, but that's not to say that I don't like comics who punch down in certain set in certain bits. Right. And doesn't mean I throw the ba baby out with the bathwater. Although, and again, I think sort of what's going on with Louis is like, I saw a CNN segment and they didn't even mention the fact that he like, uh, non-consensually masturbated in front of five women at least. <laughs> like, right. this is absolutely to do with it. It's not just about comedy. Comedy's not on trial. It's the assaulter who gets on stage and acts like nothing ever happened. 
Yeah, he just had to take a break for a year. That was his punishment. <laughs> like, you just, he you know. He had to go on vacay. He yeah. Like, even has, I think, in the routine, he's like, so I was in Paris. And it's like, motherfucker went to Paris. Yeah, I've he's never been fine. to Paris. Exactly. Paul, what do you make of this? You, are you a stand-up connoisseur? Uh, not not much on the comedy side. But, but I do think that the fact that he was able to uh, kind of just get away with, or at least they minimized uh, what he did to these women unconsentingly is, is pretty miraculous. Like right. I'm surprised he wasn't in hiding much longer. Um, <laughs> but that he's moving back into the same industry that protected him when he was doing all that. So it shouldn't be that much of a surprise that he was welcomed back. That's one of the things that always bothered me about that is it's like, yeah, comedy took down Louis CK when no, the New York times did because they ran, that article but (laughs) what about where are the ramifications for the managers and the agents who allowed this system of abuse to happen the people who would go to other comics and be like okay i get that he pulled his dick out but don't you tell anyone no exactly you will you will lose your career like where's their ramifications that's what bothers me is that now that louis back they're going to be profiting off everyone he did without zero repercussions at all ever but it's also it's such a no man's land stand up, you know, because, yeah, there are agents and and bookers and stuff, but there's no like HR. No, no. So we tried know. that in the 80s and a dude jumped off the hotel next to the comedy store over it. <laughs> what? Yeah. the comics, in protest? Comics tried to strike in the 80s in L.A. Type. And a bunch of like Jerry Seinfeld types just broke the picket lines and went and did their <laughs> sets anyway. And this uh, I don't remember the comics name. But there's a hotel right next to the comedy uh-huh. store and he jumped and yeah. committed suicide and he left his note. And I think the first line of his note was, I used to be a stand up comic. And I think he really thought he was going to shift the direction of that labor dispute. And it did not like people oh were just like, God. you can all jump. We'll have more comics. So <laughs> I don't like I don't God, have a lot of sympathy. Libertarian for, com- comedians it, I didn't know about. Yeah. Just fucking plunging to their deaths. That's the worst way to go. Oh, yeah, for sure. Especially over drama us, queens. Especially over spots at the comedy store. <laughs> Not fair. I paid my dues. <laughs> oh. But I hope, I mean, honestly, like this is, you know, I'm um I'm actually writing a, a piece about I don't do this. I don't write shit really anymore, but I'm writing some sort of like swirly visionary piece about what cultural work would look like under democratic socialism. (laughs) And and so much of it I think is, well, we need unions. We need guilds. We need, we need to be able to fucking make a living. Mm -hmm. Obviously if we actually had Medicare for all, a lot of us would be surviving a lot more, but, but we need those, uh, that kind of solidarity to, it actually creates more work and it creates better comedy. Yeah. We can't have this. And there will be no Louis CKs. <laughs> like, right. There will be, I mean, there'll be them, but they won't be able to like get away with what they're doing. You know? Yeah. Uh, if the entertainment industry has, yeah, more representation and more solidarity, like it'd be, it'd be good. I mean, but we're not trained to think that way because it's like, nah, it's survival of the fittest. Either you're funny or you're not. Yeah, well, fucking Louis funny, so he he can masturbate on onto people. Like, no, he yeah, doesn't. that that I hate when comics are like, "There's only one rule: be funny." <laughs> yeah, and let Louis C.K. jerk off in front of you in <laughs> exactly. the green room. That's rule yeah. number two. Like, there are yeah so many rules that comics have to play by. And then when something like this happens, it's always well, well as long as it's funny. 
Well, it's like I, I tweeted a thing like if if there are really no rules in comedy, why weren't there more comedians joking about? Did you see the picture of Artie Lang's nose? <laughs> Didn't see a ton of jokes about that because that might get you banned from the comedy cellar for making fun of, of Artie, Artie Lang. Lang. <laughs> right, right. But, you know, the and then people would I, ha, I a guy replied and said, well, because it at least has to be funny first. And I was like, OK, so the Parkland shooting is inherently funny to you. Right. Like that argument, but a dude's never... nose is like collapsed in yeah. on itself. Oh, he's it looks comedy like... royalty. You can't make fun of him. Right. He looks like a Looney Tunes cartoon. Oh yeah, yeah. It's a nightmare. I want to move on to our final segment. This has been so good. Mm. You guys are. This is fucking heavy hitters. And when we're just gonna be on every episode. week. Please, let's just make this a trio. Sounds I'm great. moving in. <laughs> We have a segment that we round out the podcast with called Sex Delect Overthrow. Um, it's like Mary Make Love to Kill. Um, and I think this this period is one where Republicans who are trying to, you know, save face for like, I don't know, to be reelected or for like Jesus or someone or just their own personal like so they can sleep at night and like put mirrors up back in their homes um people are having to come out against donald trump and say um and you know call him out for being obviously a a raving sociopath who is endangering our entire country in the world but so three of those people i want to pick out and see who you guys would sex and who you would elect and who you'd overthrow one mitt romney who has a new op-ed in the Washington Post of all places, um, little Bezos fake news money, who says that, and I, I, I gotta say, when I when I first heard Mitt Romney wrote this, I was like, ah, fuck you, and then I read it, and I was like, this is kind of good, but I'm just gonna read you one really quick thing, which he says, the world needs American leadership, questionable, and it is in America's interest to provide it a world led by authoritarian regimes is a world and an America with less prosperity, less freedom, less peace. Mm. Mm-hmm. Good for you guys, Smiley. Okay, so that's one. The second is Jeff Flake. We all remember Mr. Jeff Flake, Senator from Arizona, who um, his perpetual look is just stricken. And he was the one who wanted to uh, move the the vote for Brett Kavanaugh, the confirmation to wherever the fuck he like to the next round. He didn't just want to green light it. He wanted to have more debate. Yeah. And then eventually voted to confirm. Um, and you know, he's got a great tan. He looks like an action figure that was in a very minor house fire <laughs> and just melted a little but enough that you can still play it's with still it if like, you want. Right. Yeah. Just has some character now. Totally. He's like, you could see the like sort of good looking hero yeah, in there. It's in there. But he's just kind of melty. Right. I got it. That's, I mean, it's really a metaphor for his he lo- politics. He looks like what I imagine the guy who swept Ralph Macchio's leg in the Karate Kid looks like now. <laughs> I think I know that reference. Can we talk about football again? No, I know that Sweep reference. Sweep leg, Johnny. Sweepy Lake Johnny and then George W. Bush, who was one of the first people to come out and say that uh, that like white supremacy is wrong. Nazis are not good. <laughs> like he gave this address, I think it's some um, commencement or graduation speech a year ago. And he was like, 
no, no Nazis. <laughs> like w- there's a lot of hate going around. And he basically was like talking about Donald Trump and said that we as a country don't believe in white supremacy. Duh. Um, but only when it comes to the Middle East. So this is a really hard addition. But I want to know who who you, who you would choose. Adam, do you want to go first? Sure. I would uh I would sext George W. Bush because he's out of office now and he's like not really a threat. He's just like painting and slipping Michelle God. Obama candy and trying to get perpetually Jewish people to relocate to Israel so the apocalypse can happen. Is he actually? That is one of his his things in post his post president oh career. Is trying to encourage American Jews to resettle in Israel because a certain Go, so you can all burn right the because a certain population of the world's Jews have to be there for this big apocalyptic battle that both sides think Jesus is going to intervene in oh on their behalf. Which I almost want to see it. Like, what if he comes back for ISIS? Oh, <laughs> what a twist that would be! But yeah, I'm I'm gonna sext him because he's not a threat anymore. I will elect Mitt Romney mm. because, uh, as far as I know, he hasn't committed any war crimes like George Bush, and uh, I like that op-ed. And I I feel like he's a capable politician. He had uh, state health care when he was in Massachusetts. They That's had true. a very robust health care system, I believe. Uh, and overthrow Jeff Flake, like that guy. He feels like a character to me. Like I like he opposes Trump when the cameras are there and it makes him look good. But he also votes with Trump on some of Trump's most heinous stuff. Sure. So I don't see him as any sort of resistance or some sort of maverick who's challenging the president. He just knows he's on his way out and he wants to melted action figure it up in front of the cameras for a while. Totes. All right. That's solid. Those yeah. are good. That's how it's done, Paul. <laughs> uh, it's it's hard to argue with that. I, I, I think your answers are right on. I, I will say what's interesting is you have Flake and uh, Romney, who are both Mormon. Uh, right. Oh, I didn't know Flake right. was Mormon. Yeah. yeah. Born again and versus the Mormon. Right. And uh, so they wear their magical um, underwear, right? Right. Um, so. Do they have to? Is that like undergarment? They have, yeah, it's, yeah, they wear undergarments. So the Is, are there spikes? S- sexing them would be kind of yeah difficult. So a few there. firewalls, right? But I but I, <laughs> but I but I do think that the Romney I'm a little suspect too. And what's interesting is even after he said that, the head of the RNC is his niece. What? Uh, yeah, uh, she wasn't happy. Who apparently removed Romney from her name at the behest of of Trump. So her name was something Romney something, oh and then, God. but she she basically came out and trashed her uncle for writing that op-ed, and and if I I I would be more, um, I think Mitt was more sincere if he wasn't kissing Trump's ass the first time around to become Secretary of State. Right. Remember, mm-hmm. it's like because oh, right. you said all this stuff during the campaign how you could never support this guy and he's a danger to our democracy and all this other stuff, and then you're sitting there and kissing his brass ring. And then he ends up just That's tossing right. it under the bus. I forgot because I remember it was like, what? Because he says his line is like, well, I met with him once he was the nominee, you know, or, or once, no, in the transition, once he became was right. elected and he was in the transition, like then I met with him. But you're right. There was the dangling 
secretary of state position right there. Which I heard the Trump administration had no plans. They were just doing that to embarrass him. Have him kiss our ass and then just cut him loose. And so you you have to wonder how much of this is him politically calculating. Mm. Um, So uh, actually, there are openings in the administration. Um, I I, I think um, uh, the person that uh, so I think of the last the three, I mean, George Bush, granted, his presidency was a disaster in every account. Um, I think his post presidency, he's shown that he's just a laughable, you know, Yuck, yuck, he yuck was type of laughable guy, right? as president, but yes, yes, I know what you mean. Yeah. So what are you going to do with him? Uh, so he would be probably the person I would sext. Yeah. You're going to sext Bush. And I would probably um, <laughs> get rid of the other two entirely. Oh, completely get yeah. rid of them? You have yeah. to elect one. Uh, you can overthrow mm. Romney. I think you made a pretty good case. Um, I would elect Bush if I could be his Veep this time. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great response. So... I love that. I um, here's mine. I think that you, Jeff Flake. Um, I I like the action hero melty look. Like so, I'm I'm gonna sext him. Uh, but you know, I definitely expect to be disappointed. Because <laughs> if there is one guy who will leave you wanting more, it's Mr. Jeff Flake. All right, so. Uh, but I all do it. Another, nevertheless, uh, the, them's the rules of the game. Um, Mitt Romney, I will overthrow. I don't trust that dude. I don't care about him. He's so irrelevant. And I will elect George W. Bush to be the hall monitor in hell <laughs> <laughs> because I want him to go away forever. Now you could say, Francesca, that sounds like an, an overthrow to me. No, 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 no. On a technicality, I'm going to say it's not, or it is. No, he, he needs to be the home monitor of hell. He'd be really good at that. Fuck George Bush forever and ever and ever. He's the entire reason that we're in this mess. Um, yep. And I'm not going to go see that movie Vice. I'm sorry. I don't care. Yeah, care. people keep telling me to go see, and like, I don't want to see a comical portrayal of Dick Cheney. Definitely not. Like I want to see like a creepy doc where it's like yes. everything I know he really is. And then let's, I mean, Sasha Baron Cohen interviewing Dick Cheney was 2018's biggest highlight. Yeah. Uh, where he got him to sign his waterboard. <laughs> <That's>, <laughs> mwah, love Sasha. You guys, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank great you. Great to be here. Thanks this for having us on. So great. I mean, I should have known. You guys are welcome anytime. Anything we should know, Paul, what is coming up for you? What should people know about? What should we what should we tweet? What should we get involved with? What pledge should we sign? Just uh, try to really sign up to advocate for Medicare for all. I mean, I think the more people, elected officials hear from the masses, the more they'll they can't ignore it. So yeah. that's what I would say. So yeah. call your representatives. Yeah. And hopefully the Giants will get a quarterback next year. I yeah. Hope it's I mean, you got, you got a running back. You have yeah. Saquon Barkley and just Odell. Just need that need other. someone to throw the ball, right? Right, correct. Got it. Yeah, throw the and hand the ball, hand and throw, and fall down. Hand and throw, hand and throw ball. <laughs> yes, I love this game. Adam, what about you? Uh, check out my podcast, Unpopular Opinion. I actually host a bunch of podcasts uh, on the Unpops Podcast Network, which I run. Go to Patreon.com/slash Unpops or Unpops.com for more details. He's so good. 
He's hey, good. Thanks. Yeah, you're you are great. You your ability to find uh, obscure and very awesome news articles is. I read a lot of headlines. You read it's a whole lot. <laughs> Sometimes I read the first line. <laughs> And January 26th, come out to the Hollywood Hotel in Los Angeles, 9 p.m. for the Unpopped Stand-Up Show. We're also all a bunch of comics, and it's free, and it's a lot of fun. Francesca was on the last one, yeah, and it was damn good times. It was good. So it was really that. good. Thank you. And you guys out there, remember that the Bituation Room is live once a month. So the next show will be January 16th. That's a Wednesday, 8 p.m. at the setup in San Francisco, 222 Hyde Street in the Tenderloin. Don't mind the tents. Uh, it is come inside. Just come inside, have a drink. <laughs> we'll talk about income inequality and, uh, you know, throw them some couple dollars. And then okay. you can look outside and then we can and look outside it. and be like, no, Um Thank you so much for listening. Give us five stars on all the things. And uh, remember, don't just bitch about it. Be about it. Happy New Year. 